Roger Santon and beyond. Get ready for the Santon Times Hour with your host, Alexander. That's right. This is the Santon Times Hour. I'm your host, Alexander Leipnan. Thank you for joining me on this, the very first radio broadcast for the Santon Times. It's week 19, edition 66 of the Santon Times Hour. And as you might have guessed, it's not the Santon Times' first foray into the space. We've been running a podcast for 66 weeks, and after a brief hiatus, it is so exciting to now welcome listeners on Mix FM 93.8, as well as still available as a podcast on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and wherever you get great podcasts. At this point, let me again thank Abigail, Sunny, and the entire Mix FM team for coming alongside the Santon Times and partnering on this great adventure forming a truly dynamic voice for Greater Santon and beyond. And I'd like to invite you to join the conversation every week, 7 to 8 on MixFM 93.8. You can email editor at uh, santontimes.co.za. You can connect on social media at Santon Times and obviously visit the website, www.santontimes.co.za. So if you don't know much about the Santon Times, let me quickly give you a whistle-stop tour of the last 12 years. It started off as a single Twitter account just around 2010, and over the last 12 years has evolved into a blog, into a series of social media accounts, eventually evolving into a website, and now here we are with a podcast and a radio show in Johannesburg and Pretoria. And it's really exciting to now reach a whole new audience as an ever-growing boutique media platform. I'm so excited to be back on radio again on FM. I think the last time I did a radio show was almost 20 years ago when I hosted a show on Rhodes Music Radio in Matric, believe it or not. And ever since then have spent the last 20 years in media but I haven't done FM in such a long time and it is just so exciting to be back on this platform and to be doing something so different and uh, so exciting and having you join me for the ride. So coming up uh, in this week's edition, she's been keeping South Africa warm year after year, one crochet hook at a time. I'll be catching up with her and finding out her plans for winter 2022. Then he's kept South African couples laughing in the aisle for years and thanks to Evolution, will be staging a new piece of comedy theatre. More on this in the next hour. And super wealthy South African are on the move out of South Africa to other parts of the world. But a recent report indicates there are quite a few of them returning. Where are they returning from? Well, stay listening. And finally, he's been keeping his patients looking young and gorgeous, but this doctor has taken a passion project all the way into a Hollywood blockbuster. You won't want to miss this conversation. But first, let's take a look at some stories making headlines in Santon this past week. All right, first up, we've got the Santon's very own Tinder swindler who appeared in the Johannesburg Magistrates Court. It's claimed he swindled a Santon woman that he had met on the dating platform Tinder out of three million rand. Come on, man. Uh, He also faces uh, charges of money laundering and fraud, and the case is ongoing. 
going. Then social media exploded with a video of a man going down on one knee and proposing to a woman in a busy McDonald's queue in Santon. Uh, she evidently wasn't very impressed and uh, decided to decline the proposal just before storming out of the store. Deal or no deal? Then, Eyewitness News reported of a homeless man who was also unemployed in Santon who is going back to university. Gibson Nzimande, a former waste picker and an honors graduate, had spent close on three years recycling waste and sleeping on the streets of Santon before being discovered by a former lecturer reconnecting and is now able to go back to university and hopefully turn his life around uh, from where he'd been over the last couple of years. <laughs> then uh, newspaper Rapport reports uh, of a suburb in Santon that is looking to cut its ties with ESCOM and move over to a private energy solution, getting their electricity using gas-powered plants. They're fed up with ongoing load shedding and uh, over and above that unscheduled power outages. Crisis? What is a crisis? And the suburb is pushing to have close to 2,000 residences, offices and mixed-use buildings being powered independently. And then finally, Sant and SAPS have reflected on April crime stats. <laughs> Burglary in residential areas are still a concern, particularly in Morningside and Wendywood from Thursdays to Mondays. Uh, car hijackings are declining, but robberies with firearms are still on the rise whereby people are threatened with a firearm to hand over their belongings, and it's taking place all over Santon. Uh, weekends are most prominent. And then also the theft out of motor vehicles remains a problem in most shopping center parking lots all over Santon again, and uh, the most prominent days are Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be joined by my very first guest on the Santon Times Hour, Carolyn Stain founder of 67 Blankets. Follow the Santon Times on social media. At Santon Times. From Greater Santon to the rest of the world, this is the Santon Times Hour. Well, when the temperatures drop every year, they drop a stitch. And of course, I'm talking about the nitwits behind the annual 67 Blankets drive. And I'm thrilled to be joined by its founder, uh, Carolyn Stain. Karen, it's lovely to have you on, and uh, for a myriad of reasons. You said dropped a stitch. Well, I did, and I dropped my hook, but I found it. <laughs> Look at you. you. You you never fail to amaze me. You're always at it, always stitching away, always knitting away. And uh, before we get into the annual conversation around 67 Blankets, there's two detours we have to make. And the first one is that you and I have spoken twice uh, on this particular occasion of winter and 67 blankets through two bouts of COVID pandemic waves. And every mm-hmm. single time we spoke, you said to me, Alex, you know, it's been great being on the podcast and, and why aren't you on radio? And uh, I'm thrilled to announce that we are on Mix FM now 93.8 in Johannesburg and Pretoria. And I thought, well, on this occasion, I need to bring the woman who has always been an encouragement to get uh, the Santon Times podcast, now the Santon Times Hour on radio. And uh, here you are. So a big heartfelt thank you for that uh, word of encouragement and uh, and, and always bringing it up. I, I, you know, it, you, you sometimes you sit there and you think, oh, you know what, like, really, are we going to do this? And and you always uh, said, look, go for it, do it, and here we are. You've got the voice, you've got the personality, and people love you. And why should you not be doing this? So let me be the first to go. 
applause. Well. Standing ovation. <laughs> now, okay, well, let me do it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're very kind. Uh, I, I just had to mention that as we as we kick off this hour. And uh, enough about me. Let's talk about you. And, and moving on to uh, the second part of the small detour. You were honoured with a French National Order of Merit of late. And I think that is also something that deserves a round of applause and a standing ovation. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic. You know, it is quite incredible. I mean, not in my entire universe was this thing even thought about. You know, I come from a very normal family. Well, does anybody come from a normal family? But certainly, you know, the family I grew up in, the, the concept of a knighthood, of a, the Chevalier de l'Ordre National du Mérite wasn't part of our universe, not in our thinking. You know, I went to Jeppy High School for girls. You know, my biggest dream was to be on the stage. I've done that, got the T-shirt. Um, and now, you know, I've become sort of known, well, known as the blanket lady. Who would have thought that a knighthood would come my way? It's just scratch my head type time you know when the ambassador called me about seven months ago the french ambassador monsieur aurelien le chevalier i thought oh this is unusual the ambassador phoning me and he told me it was a very emotional call for him because the french president emmanuel macron had the night before signed a decree to bestow upon me this knighthood and i was absolutely gobsmacked, uh, taken aback. And I said, you know, so how did this happen? He goes, I don't know, it just fell from the sky. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he said that, um, that he, they really appreciate the fact that I, you know, foster ties between France and South Africa through my radio work, through my philanthropic work. So I play a lot of lovely French music on my show. Um, as you know, on Hot 102.7 FM. Let's punt a radio station. Let's and do a it. Show. <laughs> Hot classic. <laughs> Every night from 7 to 10. And I really do play the most beautiful music in the world. You know, light classics, show tunes, Broadway show tunes, film scores. I love it. And, and I'm sure you love being behind that mic there right now. Doesn't it give you a kick? Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting. I haven't done this since I was 18, since I was working in campus radio. I haven't been on mm -hmm. FM and uh, it's just great to do this again. And it's, I mean, look, here we go. I mean, how many years? 20, 20 odd years down the line. Uh, here we are doing this. And uh, yeah, so, so what do we call you? Do we call you a dumb uh, stain <laughs> or is there some sort of official title? Not, that Honestly, Alex, I'm not exactly sure. You know, the French are very discreet. So they don't have these letters behind their name, OBE or MBE. It's très discret. Ah. So they don't shout from the hilltops. So I don't know. It's Chevalier de l'Ordre National du Mérite, Knight of the French Order. So perhaps you could call me Sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chevalier, um, it's a, a dumb, perhaps. Okay. Not sure. But they did give me, the French ambassador gave me an amazing medal. I should have brought it downstairs. Yes. But I didn't. Okay. It's, it's, it's very impressive. You know, when he started pinning this on me, I became so emotional. At various points in this whole event, I teared up. When I saw my friends there in the gardens at the French embassy, it was so overwhelming. And then, so... 
so what the French do, if you've received a knighthood, if you go about your daily business, you go to a luncheon or whatever, you don't wear the medal. That's too much. Trop. You know, that's for official functions. So they give you a little blue pin that you wear on the left side. It's a little blue pin that you could wear on your, you know, blazer or your dress. And those who know, know, and those who don't, don't. So it's very, very discreet. Wow. You know, if you notice the French president, Emmanuel Macron, thank goodness he got voted into power again. Um, he wears a red one. Ah, okay. And I must say, I've never really paid attention to that. And, and once again, it's one of those orders that you're not always aware of. Everyone knows of a, a British knighthood, I think, because it's just very well uh, publicized and it's very it sort of, it happens, I suppose, every year. But it's the French one is not something that we're very familiar with. And then also, attaining one like this is also not something that I've heard of very often. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm learning as we go along here. This is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is quite incredible. I wish my parents were alive, you know, to, to witness and be part of it. Yeah. But perhaps they're watching. I'm sure. From above. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm sure they're watching from above and I'm sure they would be very, very proud. And, uh, you know, it's it's like you say, it's one of those moments where when one has a family that is no longer w- with one, uh, it, it, these are the times when one thinks of those people. And, and when you think, oh, you know, it would have been amazing to have them there. But still, nonetheless, everyone else who I suppose, uh, you know, is of importance to you in your life was there and has been celebrating this with you. And, and one of those other big things that you've been doing, I think that is probably never gone unrecognized is the 67 Blankets initiative that is back again with a new theme, which is uh, the Rainbow Nation Blanket of Hope. Uh, I think mm-hmm. last year it was the rugby, if I'm correct, it was the Springbok rugby Yes, we did our blankets. big Boca blanket, our Stronger Together blanket last year, which we laid out at Stain City School. And it just worked so beautifully. You know, the infrastructure, um, we didn't have to... transport, you know, just to travel across country to do these events that we've done, you know, in Pretoria, at the prisons, at the prison at Drakenstein. You know, it's a lot of um, hard labor. Um, So it was such a delight. You know, the fact is we couldn't really travel during that time of COVID. It was quite a hard lockdown. So we went up the road to Stain City School. We laid out this incredible pattern that my assistant Yaku had designed of the the book, you know, and we were inspired by the Springboks who came back with that Webb Ellis trophy. So that went very well. And of course, this year things have opened up. So we're going to have more people. Um, Things have sort of normalized. Let's cross fingers. And we're doing our Rainbow Nation Blanket of Hope, which will comprise thousands of individual blankets, such as mine, made with love by thousands of nitwits from Adiba all around South Africa and in countries around the world that will be laid out at the rugby field at Stain City School. And I think, you know, symbolizing um, the tapestry, the, the rich tapestry of our country. And, you know, that was that was coined by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Rainbow Nation. And we are for this event, paying tribute to all frontline workers who've really risked their lives and worked so dedicatedly, is that a word? (laughs) 
and over the past two years. So we, we are working in partnership with Gift of the Givers. Cross fingers that Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman will be with us. It's sort of 90% there. We're working with Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières. And I have to tell you, this could be breaking news. <laughs> Here we go. Breaking Brace news. yourself. <laughs> wait, wait. I have just come off a Zoom meeting with the most incredible woman by the name of Dr. Amani Asfor, who's the president of everything in Egypt, you know, and women's rights. And she's the voice of the private sector. She's the voice of women. She's a champion of the African agenda. And she's going to be our keynote speaker. And let me tell you, she is She's a rock star. So, I, I mean, I was just so grateful to have met her on Zoom. She's going to come to South Africa. She's going to be with us on the day, which is May the 11th at Stain City School, where we're going to lay out the Rainbow Nation Blanket of Hope. We've got the Mzanzi Youth Choir performing a new song that has been written by Brendan Greeley and Neil Solomon. PJ Powers will be performing. And, and other entertainment. I forget now, I, Annie Greeley is putting the entire thing together, Brendan's wife. It's really going to be a phenomenal, I know it's going to be a phenomenal event. Well, I mean, Doctors Without Borders, it sounds like Carolyn Stain Without Borders. You are bringing them in <laughs> from all over. And I mean, that's fantastic news. So if you hadn't heard that yet, you heard it here uh, first uh, of what is happening uh, on the 11th. And, I mean, Dr. Mtia Suleiman, I mean, you were saying here, I hope he's there 90%, uh, you know, guaranteed. Uh, he has been an unbelievably busy man. He's always a busy man as well. And just an unbelievable organization, this gift of the givers. The stuff that they're doing in KZN right now, again, is just, you know, it never fails to amaze me. Yeah. So, Alex, you know, on the day, on the 11th of May at Stain City School, there's going to be a very big gap in our blanket, Rainbow Nation blanket of hope, a big gap that would have had blankets that were made in KZN. But you, we have to respond to the immediate needs of the people. So all the blankets that were made by our nitwits from Adiba in KZN went directly to Gift of the Givers to distribute to people who've lost everything. I mean, the, the, the tragedy of it all is just too much to comprehend. Yeah, so all those blankets will be, be given to Gift of the Givers. Yeah. They were they they reach areas we can't reach. I mean, they really are go into far outflung areas. So we're very, very honored to be partnering with them this year and so glad that our labors of love are going to, to be given to the right people in gift of the givers we trust. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, just such a, a, a an organization that one can be proud of uh, as a South African. Uh, to 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 have as part of the you know the 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 little the fiber of of our of our society, uh, the the blankets that you're handing out this winter. I'm sure there's a bunch of people saying, well, this has been going on for so many years. There's so many thousands of blankets that have been handed out. Is there anyone left that hasn't got a blanket? And I'm assuming there uh, is. Of sure. You know, I would love to say that, but you, I think we just sort of with the tip of the iceberg here, you know, there's so much need. I want to mention, you know, the, the people that have really helped us. We've got our nitwits from Adiba. We've got our ambassadors around the country. But 
you know this would not be possible at all without Stutterford van lines who've transported to and fro across the country year in and year out for eight and a half years blankets made with love to and fro and so Stutterford van lines and then of <laughs> course I have to say auto in general auto in general it is because of auto in general that we are able to put on this event so I have to say big thank you to them, Absa Bank, Capitec Bank, Scoin Shop. And you know, I know I'm leaving people out and I'm going to slap myself after I interview, but you know, a big thank you to everybody who makes this work possible for thousands of people to be kept warmer over the cold winter months, over all their winter months. So I'm very proud of 67 Blankets for Nelson Mandela Day. It wasn't designed to be what it is today. All I wanted was 67 blankets. It was a challenge given to me by Zelda Lachrancy, Zelda Lagrange. <laughs> <laughs> and for me to make 67 blankets, so I realized I couldn't do it on my own. I didn't have 67 friends and I reached out on Facebook and it snowballed very, very quickly into what people describe as a movement. So we have handed out, I would say, close on 150,000 blankets over the past eight years. And of course, you know, in July every year we do our secret scarves. We hang scarves in trees around lampposts with a love note that says, I am not lost. If you're cold and need me, please take me. Love, 67 blankets, kiss, kiss, kiss. And, you know, it's just um, a lovely feel-good day. And I think this is happening on July 6th this year. Fantastic. Well, Carolyn Stain, uh, founder of 67 Blankets, as always, an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Now also uh, a knight of the French order, which is super exciting. And uh, it's been such a pleasure having you on as my first guest on the Santon Hour on FM and as always on uh, podcast as well. And uh, it's the bottom of the hour on uh, the Santon Times Hour, and we're going to be back right after this. Back for more. The Santon Times Hour continues. Sonia Federa and Punctual with Stuck in My Head featuring Rug Wilson taking us through to the bottom of the Santon Times Hour. And if you're not catching this live on MixFM 93.8, uh, but rather delayed on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, well, you would have missed that completely. So best you tune in every Monday night for the Santon Times Hour, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Now, my next guest is standing by. I'm absolutely thrilled to have him on the line. Uh, I managed to catch uh, a play that he did many, many years ago when I was a young warthog and uh, he came out with a show called Defending the Caveman. I can't remember what age I was when I came to see this. It was a smash hit success. I mean, it was, I think it's probably one of the longest running um, theatre productions in South Africa. I mean, it just went on for, for forever, it felt like it. Tim Pluman, it's good to have you on again. Uh, do you remember those days? Oh, indeed, yeah. In fact, they only finished... Uh, um just prior to COVID. So uh, so there we are. The play ran for over 20 years. Well, Tim, it's great to have you on. I mean, it must have been one of those shows that as somebody in the acting space, in the live theater space, it's just one of those gold nuggets you hit and you think, my goodness, there's many actors that would clamber for an opportunity like this. Tell, tell me about yeah. how did you come about ending up doing Defending the Caveman in South Africa? It was a it, it was a combination of things. I'd I'd been um, writing and 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 doing plays for obviously for, for for a very long time before it came along, and Rex Garner, the the great Rex Garner, uh, was um, was was kind of my mentor, if you know what I mean. And he he kind of directed everything I did and everything I wrote. 
And I'd just done a play called Low Mood by the Box. It was 1995, after the, the World Cup rugby. I had directed Heel Against the Head with Bill Flynn and Paul Slab. That was this giant hit. And uh, a New Zealand author called Roger Hall had written a play called Low Mood by the Box, which is a one-man play about his experience coming out to watch the World Cup rugby in 95. And they asked me if I would do it. And I'd never done a one-man play. So I said, yeah, OK, I'd love to try it. And I did it. And incredibly hard work. Uh, and, and, and that was super. And about, about six, seven months after I closed uh, Lomod by the Box, Rex phoned me up and he said, listen, I've got this piece that I want you to read and readapt called, uh, called uh, Defending the Cape Man. And I said, look, I'll read it for you, mate. But, you know, I've done a one-man play. I'm not going to do any more. That's, 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 you know, I'll read it and I'll tell you who I think should do it. And I'll do the rewriting for you on, on the piece with pleasure. So he sent it over and, and I read it. And I'm sitting on the balcony reading this thing and giggling away. And my wife came out and said, you're going to do it, are you? She said, of course I'm going to do it. It's a, this, is, this is just this is gold. And so I sat with Rex and we worked uh, on it for a period of about four months, rewriting and, and re, uh, re-adapting it for, for ourselves. Put it on and spent six months. Every night, Rex and I would sit down after the show and rewrite and redo and, and get it right. Uh, and then once that was complete, it just exploded. The show just literally exploded. And it, it became this giant, giant hit that was sold out three months in advance. Uh, and I, I always said to people when they said, but you're still doing it, I would take breaks, you know, so I'd do it for a year and then I'd take a break of five, four or five months and do another play or something like that. But they said, uh, you know, you're still doing it. And I said, if you had the opportunity to have the biggest hit in the country of all time, and be the star, and you were the only actor, would you take it? And they said, well, yes. I said, well, there we are. That's uh, exactly what it is. So unbelievable. Um, I mean, I think the the only play or or performance that would probably come close to that would probably be a handful of keys, I think, uh, that that competed on a very similar sort of timescale in terms of just performances. You're back again now after many years. And for people who haven't seen Defending the Caveman, and and you might be you know a different generation who missed all of that. Don't stress. Uh, don't uh, don't be upset. There is another opportunity now to kind of get a, a flavor of the caveman. You've now done Return of the Caveman Designer Jeans XXL. This is uh, a, a almost a um, a part two or a sequel to Defending the Caveman. In a, in a way, yes. So really, what has happened, when I started doing Defending the Caveman, we were still in the digital age. I mean, we're still in the, in the analog age, don't forget. You know, we hadn't yet hit the digital revolution. But what has happened since I was doing it, or started doing it, was the advent of DNA. And that discovery of so much stuff in our DNA, our genes, what are we programmed for, what, where we get our, 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 um, our behavior, et cetera, et cetera is written in our DNA and has now been discovered worldwide. And this explosion of information that I've read about and, and studied has, 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 has kind of poured into designer genes XXL. It's genes as in G-E-N-E-S. So it's designer genes as in our genetics. And it is the next step of caveman. So it describes what we are and why we are from a genetic point of view, the differences between men and women. It's very funny as per um, as per caveman, 
but also uh, hopefully informative and, and, and not biased. Not biased, I will tell you. Well, remembering Defending the Caveman, an excellent show for anybody in a relationship, going into a relationship, coming out of a relationship, not in a relationship at all, or not sure how to spell relationship. And uh, I'm assuming that Return of the Caveman <laughs> designer Jeans XXL is probably going to do exactly the same thing. So I think if you're looking for a, a date night, uh, a first date, uh, maybe you've been at it for a while, maybe you've fresh into it this is probably the show to go see it is going to be on in Santon at the Hotel Sky believe it or not yeah. which I couldn't believe initially but I believe they've got a, a great space to host that it's going to be happening May 27th to 28th and then uh, again in June from the 3rd to the 4th and 10th to the 11th if you can't keep track of all of this I'm going to put it on the website and then you can just check today, and we'll <laughs> give you all the, the, the nitty gritty um, the, the response has been good I know you've already had one run Tim yes Oh, yeah, and the response has been brilliant. Uh, and uh, I, I started doing the show prior to uh, COVID uh, as a run-in, and I, I did it, uh, you know, for various places and functions and things like that. The response was absolutely unbelievable. So it's becoming, it, it is for me, it is the, the same excitement as Caveman. And as you say, it is the greatest date night out ever. So if you, you know, if you're in a relationship or hope to be in a relationship, then this is the play to come and see. Well, Tim Pluman, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the Santon Times Hour. Thank you so much for making the time. Don't forget to go watch it. Return of the Caveman Designer Jeans XXL. There's a couple of runs lined up. And as I said, we'll put up the information on the website so you don't miss out. And uh, it's been great chatting to you, Tim. And I hope we get to catch up again uh, in the not-too-distant future. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. You're listening to the Santon Times Hour. Connect with the Santon Times. Email editor at santantimes.co.za. Right, a bit of a change of pace, and uh, we're talking money, we're talking high net worth individuals, and uh, there's a report that's come out from uh, New World Wealth and Henley Partners in South Africa that shows that South Africa has continued to lose high net worth individuals uh, to overseas destinations. And I wanted to get a little bit more insight and a little bit more understanding of what that means. It looks like a really fascinating report. Joining me on the line are Amanda Smith. She's the managing partner at Henley and Partner South Africa. And then also Andra Moyles. He's an analyst at New World Wealth. And, uh, well, I think let's let's crack this wide open uh, in terms of this report. I'd be quite interested to know uh, just to give us an overview of this uh, 2022 report. Uh, yes, we basically looked at all aspects of the wealth market in Africa. So we looked at all the big African markets, 17 big African markets in terms of their wealth, their number of millionaires, their number of centi millionaires, which is quite an interesting wealth band of people that have over 100 million US dollars. And then obviously the billionaires. And then we looked at the luxury market in each country. We looked at uh, the top safari lodges, obviously, as part of that. We looked at um, the rise of estate living in Africa, which is becoming more popular. We looked at the wealth management industry. And uh, we had quite a big spotlight on South Africa section as well. We looked at like some of the um, top sectors for wealthy people in South Africa. And then obviously, we looked at the top cities in Africa for wealth and for millionaires. And, and, we, and we also looked at the trends in terms of what's happened over the last 10 years. We tend to look at the longer term trends. So we do a 10 year trend rather than focusing heavily on one year because uh, we find that's probably more relevant. 
Well, Andrew, according to uh, the data or the numbers I've got in front of me here, 4,500 high net worth individuals have left South Africa over the past decade. And in terms of the numbers we're talking about here, sort of a high net worth individual, someone with a wealth of over a million dollars, uh, that small that sounds like an entire country that's left our country uh, when you're talking about four and a half thousand uh, individuals yes yeah it is it's quite a large number but i think compared to a lot of the other emerging markets it's actually quite minor there has been a big trend over the last 20 years of of people leaving emerging markets and moving to the more developed markets and they most of them tend to head towards the same countries, places like the UK and uh, the US and uh, places in Europe and uh, Australia. In terms of uh, China on its own, China lost about 20,000 high net worths um, just in the latest year alone to migration. So, so the 4,000 4, that left over the last decade, uh, so approximately 400 a year, you could say, um, on aggregate, is actually quite minor compared to a lot of the other countries. Um, also, there has been a trend of some wealthy people coming back to South Africa, which is a positive thing. But yeah, it's, ob it's obviously uh, something that affects all the big, all the BRICS markets and also some of the other big emerging markets ha have all experienced a loss of high net worth individuals. Let's get into the positive side because I always feel that uh, you know when we start comparing ourselves to other countries and how many people they've lost, it's always a race to the bottom. Let's understand what is the motivation that is bringing back South Africans to South Africa. And I see particularly they're coming back from the UK. So I'm going to hazard a guess. It's the food, the weather, and uh, miserable people. Or am I just being uh, quite harsh? To be honest, we haven't really looked too much about the reasons they're coming back. But we, a lot of the ones that do come back tend to head towards the lifestyle estates and the apartments, the luxury apartments, which is an interesting trend. But in terms of why they're coming back, yeah, you're probably right. It might be those things. Also, I think once you've been in the UK a certain number of years, there's some tax implications around that and non-DOM status and things like that. So, so that, that, that's also a factor. And um, I think the UK is just not generally as appealing as it once was because it's no longer in the EU. Uh, so it's not as easy to move around in terms of work. And also because uh, the taxes have gone up so much in the UK that it's not particularly attractive from that point of view either. And, and crime rates have gone up quite a lot in the big cities in the UK. So although South Africa is still more dangerous than the UK, you could say the UK is catching up with South Africa in terms of the crime. So. So they are, there's a lot of factors that could be the drivers there. I suppose a lot of people listening to this might be a little bit surprised. They're thinking, gee, potholes, load shedding, and a whole bunch of other things. Why would they be coming back? But uh, maybe you can shed some light on what, what's, what's the point of all this data? I mean, you do collect this data for some sort of reason, or it's important to have this kind of information. Kind of, what do you do with it, apart from us sitting here and having sort of really interesting dinner conversations? Yeah, so essentially, I think there's a number of reasons why wealth migration figures uh, are interesting. Um, I think that if you look at the countries that attract wealth in terms of migration, uh, the likes of Australia, uh, the US, uh, the UAE, which includes Dubai, uh, Switzerland, they, they all they all have certain uh, similar characteristics around uh, uh, standard of living, 
and uh, of business opportunities there. Uh, some of them have really good taxation rates. Um, and uh, so I think it's, it's more, when you look at the, the outliers, it tells you a story in terms of uh, the countries that are doing the right things in terms of attracting wealth. And then on the flip side, you get countries where there's been an acceleration of wealth away. So for instance, a place like Russia, that the, the wealth migration away from Russia has been accelerating over the last decade, which you could say was an early warning sign that there were problems there. So also, if you look back to Zimbabwe in around the late 90s, there was quite a large migration of high net worths away from Zimbabwe then. And then obviously the trouble started in Zimbabwe around 99, 2000. So it's sometimes an early warning sign, especially if there's an acceleration in, in migration away. In the case of South Africa, there hasn't really been a massive acceleration. It's been pretty constant over the years in terms of the wealth migration away. And, and the same goes for um, the likes of India and China. So it's less concerning in those instances but when, when there's a sudden acceleration, um, th then, then it can be a sign of problems. So, so it, it, it is quite an important economic indicator in many ways. Okay, Amanda, so you look after all things diversification, so getting people to, to actually move their bits and bobs all over the world and have a bit more of a footprint uh, in, in more places than one. And it's quite a, probably an interesting conversation, especially around some of the um, instability we're seeing in Europe at the moment. Some people are thinking, well, you know what, the last place I want to be is overseas. But um, uh, tell us, what, what, what is the, what, what is the uh, benefit of having a bit of a footprint outside of your current basket? So it is quite interesting if you look at the data um, worldwide that, that currently um, we are seeing the most applications for residency or citizenship from Americans, believe it or not. Um, and then people from the United Kingdom are applying for alternative citizenship, where they always held one of the world's you know, strongest passports. And then obviously from a South African point of view, yes, not so many South Africans are migrating, but many, many high net worth individuals are looking to secure an alternative residency or citizenship. Not only is that an opportunity to diversify their assets, but at the same time, getting all the benefits that come along with um, investment migration. And that would obviously include greater mobility. We all know that a South African passport is very limiting. So having an alternative citizenship drastically increases the country so that you can travel to visa free. It gives you the right of establishment in that new jurisdiction, and it holds extremely great benefits for the children in terms of having uh, alternative places where they can study or, or for work opportunities. And a lot of people are doing it for retirement options. But really what we've seen through this entire pandemic is that not only is it important to diversify your assets, but to have country diversification because one country could have handled the, the lockdown, for instance, not in such a great way. And then you have access to go to another country where there might be better weather even. So there are a multiple number of benefits um, through having an alternative residency or citizenship. Well, there you have it. Amanda Smith, Managing Partner, Henley and Partners South Africa and Andrew Amoyles, Analyst of New World Wealth. Thank you so much for taking some time and uh, shedding some light on this really interesting report uh, that comes out on a regular basis, getting us a temperature on where high net worth individuals are at 
uh, at this point and uh, if they're coming or going uh, from or to South Africa. So thank you so much for making the time to chat to us. Follow the Santon Times on social media. At Santon Times. All right, if you're a bit of an aviation enthusiast like I am and you enjoy all things flying and flight, you might have picked up on something really interesting if you've been to the movies lately, Uh, specifically a movie that's come out called The Lost City, which features Hollywood A-listers like Sandra Bullock, Brad Pitt, and Daniel Radcliffe. Well, you would have seen that there was a really, really slick business jet in, uh, in parts of this movie, and it has roots and links to South Africa. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have founder and CEO of Pegasus Universal Aerospace, Dr. Reza, on the line to chat to me about this a little bit more. Dr. Reza, uh, not your usual beat. You're in the, uh, you know, aesthetics medicine business. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about this uh, uh, aerospace venture. So thanks for having me, uh, for sure. You know, my day job is aesthetic medicine, the botulinum toxins, the fillers, helping people to look and feel young and happy. But, you know, it's not too far away if you think about it. The more we think about it, the more I see the overlaps between the two types of of work that I'm doing. So the first thing is, uh, you know, it was an idea that I had a few years ago was to just explore different business concepts. Um, Because obviously, we're always on the lookout for the next best thing and finding out ways that we can make the world a, a better place. And I found aviation to be quite a natural avenue for me because I've always loved planes. I've always thought I'd end up being a pilot one day. And I have done some flying already, but I haven't got a license yet. So I looked at it as a business and looked at aviation and a new type of airplane and saying, well, how can we build a jet and make it exciting that people would buy it? And that's how vertical takeoff actually came about because we started to see that there was a gap. There was no uh, airplane that actually gave you the convenience and flexibility of a helicopter while also giving you the safety, range, speed, and other favorable aspects of a business jet, like having a bathroom on board. And so that's when I started looking at ways to achieve vertical takeoff and then found some engineers who were you know, like-minded, uh, open-minded, future-oriented. And we did a conceptual design study. And through this, they tested a number of methods uh, with engineering maths. And we settled on a, um, the fan-in-wing concept, which uses then cool air fans so that you can land on grass or yacht or uh, you know, anywhere that you could, uh, I guess, land a helicopter without creating dangerous hot gas downwards, like a military jet would. And that's what we've been working on basically since 2012, as we could, uh, progressing slowly. We got our patents granted in 2018, and that's when we decided we needed to speed up so that we could enjoy the, the protection of the patent for, um, you know, take advantage of that 20 years that it gives you protection for. I mean, it's an incredible pastime passion. I mean, some people complain that a round of golf is a bit expensive every weekend. Now here we're funding uh, private jets. And uh, to give it the correct name, it's the Pegasus Vertical Business Jet. And you illustrated quite nicely where you saw the gap in the market. I mean, this is quite an adventure to go into just purely from a capital perspective. I mean, this must have cost a small fortune to, uh, to literally get off the ground. Yeah, that's quite literal. So we uh, obviously I've been funding it primarily through uh, my aesthetic practice, but we've also had small uh, public share sale windows that we were allowed to offer 
shares in the public unlisted company, which was called Pegasus UA Limited. And we are actually in our fourth window now. So it ends on the 14th of July, where we are legally allowed, you know, by the CIPC to actually offer and advertise shares to the public, which has helped us a lot. It helped us to accelerate our program, to bring engineers in-house. We've built an eighth scale model, two quarter scale models, which will go to the UK to fly. And so that's kind of how we've been covering the, the gaps. We have applied for bigger funding from, from various entities and government uh, institutions here. But for now, we are still funded by me and Again, the public shareholders who share in our vision and who see um, this as, a, as an opportunity for them to get involved and to share in the future. Well, you've got the most tremendous billboard now having this uh, prototype of the VBJ in a Hollywood blockbuster movie and not just any movie, a, a really good movie as well. What happens from here now? I mean, you've, uh, you've got this fantastic exposure. I'm sure you must have people from all over the world phoning you saying, listen, mm. we're, we're keen to have a slice of this. This looks like a good idea. Mm. So, you know, having an opportunity like that is, is a good endorsement for us. I always say Paramount Pictures, they could have chosen any plane in the world. No one would have said, no, we don't want the plane in the movie. And so for us, it was very, uh, a, big, a big compliment that they chose us for, for the movie. I think it is a way that we can get global exposure that we could not otherwise get. You know, we can't get into almost every country in the world on a big screen. You know, for me, it was almost emotional to see uh, the airplane in pretty much full scale on a big uh, movie screen, uh, playing such an important role and looking so exciting. And, you know, they really gave us a good image. They, they illustrated what the plane can do quite nicely as well. And more than that, they, there's parts of the movie where we see other people traveling around and almost suffering. <laughs> and it's a nice comparison to the, to the people who are in the business jet. For me, it's just that we keep on doing what we're doing, which is to continue with the design, the development work, uh, the testing. Uh, the more we do, the more we realize how much we can actually do, especially in this country. And it gives us some good opportunities. We are placed in a very nice position here in South Africa where we've got expertise and infrastructure that we can actually tap into that you know costs a lot more in other areas of the world if we were in the uk or in the usa or, or anywhere in europe trying to do the same thing that we're doing right now we would have had to spend you know 10 to 20 times more money than we have already spent and going forward it would also cost that much so some of the work we have to actually do there because of certification of the planes into those markets but the more we can do here the better it is for, for the project and for the country. Well, Dr. Reza, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing this project uh, climb to new heights and uh, it looks truly tremendous. And to think that something that uh, can be reproduced in a Hollywood movie can uh, actually then also be uh, you know, in real life and actually be able to travel on it. So thank you for making the time, Dr. Reza, founder and CEO of Pegasus Universal Aerospace with the Pegasus Vertical Business Jet. Thanks for making the time uh, to be on the Santon Times Hour. Only a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, you're welcome anytime. So that's it. 
done and dusted the first Santon Times Hour on uh, Mix FM 93.8. And uh, I'm Alexander Leipner. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you join me for this ride. The podcast will be up straight afterwards. And if you want to get in touch, you can email editor at santontimes.co.za or visit the website santontimes.co.za. Feel free to send your questions and comments. It's always good to hear from you and to get your input. Thank you to all the guests who made time to be on this uh, week's edition. And thank you to the team both at the Santon Times and at MixFM 93.8 once more. As we close off this first week on radio, I am reminded of the iconic Apple Think Different commercial narrated by the late Steve Jobs. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the one thing you cannot do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Thanks for listening and let's connect again next week. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Santon Times Hour. And if you enjoyed it, be sure to share it.